0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. In the next 25 years, the number of women and Hispanic veterans will double, while African American veterans will increase by a third. Is the military changing to address these changing dynamics? On June 13th, the Washington Post Live explored the dramatically changing demographics of Americans' military veterans. Veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan may have been subjected to a variety of toxic exposures during their service. In this segment, we'll hear about what's being done and what more needs to be done. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Alex Horton.
1: I'm a reporter here at the Washington Post. And we're here to talk about something that is, you know, dear to me as an Iraq veteran um, and someone who's covered veterans, like Patricia Klein, a freelance journalist and a um, associate editor at Military.com, Bonnie Carroll with the Tragedy Assistance. Um, Program for Survivors, you know, it's an organization that uh, cares for families of uh, our nation's fallen heroes. And we've heard a little bit about it today, um, the emerging issue of um, toxic exposure for troops overseas. Uh, And it's not just an overseas problem, it's for folks who are uh, living on military bases and um, exposure to their families as well. Uh, So we're going to get started here um, with you, Patricia. Uh, We've heard a lot about burn pits today already. Um, so, give us a, a larger scope of the issue with burn pits and other toxic exposures that are affecting veterans.
0: So, historically, um, preparing for national defense and, uh, and the actual going to combat is a dirty job. And, uh, you know, it, going back to uh, World War II, and we see, you know, uh, atomic veterans, people who are exposed to uh, radiation, uh, going through Agent Orange at Vietnam. Um, the post 9/11 veterans uh face a number of uh toxic exposures uh burn pits being probably the most visible um, uh and uh those uh as as uh, representative gabbard said were these mass pits where uh they would burn 24/7 and they would burn things like body parts and uh waste uh and uh chemicals and batteries and all sorts of things that ran 24/7, um, over drifting over bases. Um, the the one at Balad uh, Joint Base Balad was 10 acres wide, and uh, built you know burnt like you know 250 tons of trash a day. Um, but it's not just the burn pits that are the issue. Um, some veterans believe that their exposure to depleted uranium um, has made them ill. Uh, there are. Uh, uh, we've, there's been research that the dust over in um, Iraq contains small particulates of heavy metals. So there's been some absorption of heavy metals into lungs. There is lead exposure. Um, and then at home, we have a, a right now a developing issue with the um, non-stick chemicals that are in firefighting foams. Uh, called uh, perfluoroalkyl substances or pfas um, these are uh these are not things that break down and uh they are in uh many of the water supplies um there's 60 bases i believe and or former bases that are uh areas of concern to the dod um, and uh and then there's uh long term contamination at certain bases um, like Camp Lejeune, where uh, there, was, were, there were solvents and uh, military cleanup solvents dropped in, that, that leached into the water supply. So it's a very large scope um, to, to address.
1: Right. So this isn't 2003. This isn't 2004. This is 2019. And if the war in Afghanistan was a person, in a few months it can walk down to a recruiting office and enlist to fight itself. And that's how long Afghanistan has been going on. Now we know about these things, but that wasn't true in the early days of Iraq and Afghanistan. So what kind of problems did that present when you had men and women go overseas, be exposed to this stuff, come back, and just be totally aware of what was going on at the time?
0: Um, I mean, there been uh, there have been, uh, since 2010, there is a tiny group called Burn Pits 360 that sort of started realizing that Veterans were getting ill and and trying to to pull it all together and, and get a scope as to what was making them sick. Um, it started out uh, really focusing on um, respiratory diseases uh, because the, the automatic you know assumption is you're breathing in this stuff and um, and a number of vets do have a disease called constrictive bronchiolitis, which is a very rare lung disease. Um, it's sort of scar tissue that uh, sort of builds up and. Uh, and so that was the initial sort of illness, but uh, now, it's only now that we're starting to see, um, and Bonnie can talk to this more, there's, you know, there's a lot of cancers, rare cancers in young people um, that are unexpected and, and not a whole lot of research being put into um, exactly what uh, diseases are related.
1: And uh, before I get to you, Bonnie, some housekeeping. Um, If you're in the room or watching online, um, tweet questions to me using the hashtag uh, #PostLive, and we'll get to them a little bit later in the program. So Bonnie, tell me, you you have a vast network of military families and surviving spouses. Uh, Tell me what they're saying about toxic exposure right now.
2: Well, TAPS is a national organization for all those grieving the death of a military loved one. So we see not just those who have lost loved ones on active duty, but Guard and Reserve whose loved ones died now not in a duty status or veterans or those who have uh, ETS gotten out of the service for one reason or another. Uh, over the past five years, we've had a 51% increase in the number of surviving families coming to us stating their loved ones died of an illness. Last year, we had over 1,500 surviving families military family members who shared with us that that was the cause of their loved ones death. And this year alone, through May, we've seen over 700 surviving family members who are stating that's the cause. And these are family members, like one in particular, her husband was a lieutenant colonel. He was a chaplain. He was deployed to Afghanistan, came home with a cough that just never went away. And finally, when it was ultimately diagnosed. It was inoperable cancer, lung cancer, but a form that was determined by the medical community, by his physicians, to be environmentally caused, not genetic, and he was not a smoker, so it was a non-smoker's variety, and he died on Christmas Eve of 2016. That's one of just hundreds, thousands of stories we have now of, of those loved ones who have died after they've gone forward to serve.
1: And one of the issues we talked about earlier where you know if if you're listening to this you can say oh why don't they just go to a sick call why don't they go to the doctor and get this checked out uh, but there are a lot of military cultural challenges when it comes to things like that. Can you walk us through some of those issues that kind of kick the can down the road, as it were, when it comes to treatment?
2: Exactly, and that's a great question. Colleen Bowman's husband Rob was at the Sergeant Major Academy down at Fort Bliss, and you know he'd served 20 years, he'd been on multiple deployments. I mean, this was the, the soldier, soldier, and uh, never been sick a day in his life. And now all of a sudden, he's just not feeling right, and and things are getting worse, and he's but they're telling him, oh, you'll get over it, it's the flu, it's this, it's that, and, and not really addressing what was wrong until he finally went to the physicians there and said, I'm not leaving until you tell me what's, what's going on with me. And they did extensive testing to determine he had stage four inoperable cancer and just potentially weeks to live. He uh, told Colleen that uh, he wanted to do everything that he could uh, with, the, with the time that he had left to really understand what was going on and, and maybe to help others who would come after him. So they did a lot of testing on, uh, on his case, determined it was absolutely environmental. Uh, so he did pass after 19 months, leaving behind his wife and his four daughters. And today Colleen is a tireless advocate with us for this cause. But um, Rob is just one of so many who ran towards the bullets, towards the bombs, into the battle. And as uh, we say, he also ran towards the burn pits and was housed near there. So now it is up to us to care for he who shall have borne the battle and his widow and his orphan.
0: Alex, you make a really interesting point. Um, uh, I did a story a while ago about um, uh, several special operations troops who have chronic lead poisoning. And uh, so one of the sources I spoke with, one of the, the military doctors, said there's a real lack of intellectual curiosity among m- some military doctors. I mean, there are some fabulous military doctors. Um, don't get me wrong, but uh, a lot of them is, oh, it's it's the flu. Uh, quite often, you get brushed off, or you know, you're not as sick as you are. There is a real um, effort to just put you back. Into um, you know the job, the battle, and and you're going to be fine, and uh, and we've seen this time and time again. There's a, um, uh, an, another same issue with lung cancer, stage four, very late diagnosis, because they kept saying you've got pneumonia or you've got the flu, um, and uh, and just not trying to figure out you know what really is going on. Um, so.
1: So I mean, a lot of this sounds like deja vu when it comes to Agent Orange uh, you know the the toxic defoliant that was spread over Vietnam and Laos, and it took decades for veterans to be heard by VA by Congress, uh, by the White House on something that was going on and it was killing uh, you know veterans long after they came home. Uh, you could say that maybe VA learned a lesson a hard lesson on on something that looks very familiar, something that appears to be linked to combat service, but maybe not. Maybe the science isn't there. And then the science is there, and everyone who is exposed is either sick or dead after that. Uh, Has VA learned its lesson? How has it done that? And how has it kind of failed to look back at history and say, you know what, we should get this right this time?
0: VA, um, early in uh, the late 2000s, commissioned a study for the Institute of Medicine to take a look at burn pits and their effects and that report came out in 2011. Um, uh, They're now the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, and they said that they could not draw a conclusive uh, link between burn pits and um, illnesses. Uh, VA again has commissioned uh, the National Academies to look at the issue now, this is uh, eight years later, but the charge there is for them, for the National Academies, to look at uh, the relationship of burn pits and airborne hazards to lung diseases only, and um, and one of the issues we're seeing is um, the veterans have rare cancers and autoimmune di- immune disorders and um, uh, illnesses that are not lung diseases. Um, and, uh, and very end, uh, again, some of the advocacy groups will tell you that many of the diseases they're seeing are similar to those seen in the 9/11 first responders. Um, many of the materials that um, were burned in the burn pits um, also were in, you know, the, the twin towers, you know, on 9/11. And so these, uh, these veterans have, uh, have breathed in chemicals that can cause diseases beyond lung cancers.. Um, so that's a very restrictive sort of uh, uh, um, charge they've given the national academies. Um, VA also consistently says we're doing a lot of research on burn pits. Um, they, they gave me a list of 30 uh, research projects that are going on, but they're on CO, um, chronic uh, pulmonary diseases and they're respiratory focused. Um, there's not a lot going on with perhaps any link between cancers like brain cancer or um, you know leukemias lymphomas uh, that we're seeing in hundreds of veterans
1: and uh, congresswoman um, uh, early on uh, Tulsi Gabbard she mentioned um, the burn print registry that that VA maintains um, and she talked about it as a potential solution like if we get people on there we get people um, registered and we know who they are we can kind of track their health and track their progress. Uh, It seems like too good of a a, a solution for this complicated problem. So can you explain, Bonnie, the purpose of the burn pit registry and what it reveals or may not reveal about what to do next?
2: Well, I think she was also talking about the burn pits accountability act and absolutely getting everyone who was deployed accounted for so that we know where people were, what they may have been exposed to, and we can better care for them, to prevent cancers, to treat them early, to bring awareness to the medical community, and to care for their surviving families.
1: And uh, we, we were talking earlier um, about the registry itself, and if you die, um, you don't go on that list. It's not posthumous. Right. Um, so what, what are the issues with that?
0: Um, Well, uh, so the registry was um, set up. Congress actually um, ordered the VA to create the registry. And um, uh, it is a long questionnaire that, um, in fact, the one thing um, Representative Gabbard did not say is that she has gone online three times to try to complete the form and register. Um, But she has either been booted off of the system or she has been... um, uh, not been able to finish it because it's very time-consuming. Um, so there's this sort of, so there's 175,000 people on this registry who have gotten through the process. Um, there is, uh, once, if they pass away, there is no way for their family members to get online and take them off the list. Um, there's also no way if a veteran is incapacitated um, or cannot do it themselves, that their loved one can get on there, or if uh... if the veteran died before the registry was created um, there is some legislation uh, being introduced uh, trying to get that solved um, but the issue is then you've got hundred and seventy five thousand people that you really don't know um, you know what their progress is because they're not really updating it they just filled out this form um, and, uh, and it really does need to be probably made more effective and be yeah. used as a research tool, which it currently is not being done.
1: And it's, it's a problem of you don't know what you don't know, right, like if you don't know about the list and you don't go on it. Like I only know about the list because of the work I do, but I get plenty of mail from VA about registering for private health care under the, the Mission Act. I've never gotten anything about a burn pit that alerted me to this problem. Um, in the first place. Um, So we have a Twitter question here. It says, an annual chest CT scan takes less than 15 minutes. Are military members and veterans exposed to burn pits and other toxins receiving this test for early detection of cancer, and why not? Can you speak to that?
0: I am not aware of that. Um, The uh, DOD has a pretty aggressive sort of lung cancer screening program, at least they did a few years ago. Uh, VA, I believe, is also leading the way on on lung cancer screening, so that is a a chest CT of some sort. Um, uh, Whether they're advertising it, um, I I, I do not know.
2: One of the challenges that we see are many of our families, their loved ones were National Guard or Reserve, uh, and so they may not have been in a duty status, they may not have that kind of uh, advanced medical screening or opportunities, and that's another community we really need to take care of.
1: Yeah, and, there, and that's something we talked about, too, where this is, you, you talk about one group of active duty folks who deployed and come back, and they've heard about this from friends and loved ones, and they see it on the news, but then when you when it comes to the Guard and Reserve, who are used with very high frequency uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, historically so, come back, and they feel culturally and socially removed from what it means to be, quote, active duty. So how does that cause issues later down the road when they kind of conceive of themselves having a health problem.
2: Well, you're exactly right, and in our survivor community, we find, you know, family members who will start out by saying, oh, well, my loved one had multiple deployments, as you know, with a guard, but then died completely unrelated of a cancer, a rare cancer, several years later. And it's not until we start talking and they meet other family members and putting the pieces together that they discovered it may well have been related.
1: So um, you've spoken to the VA a lot about this. Um, so what is their position now when it comes to the science, the evidence, the the modalities of care when it comes to exposures, um, and what are they lacking at this point?
0: Um, well, VA uh, has set up a, a war-related illness and injury center study center um, that they are uh, taking a look at some of these issues. Uh, but... Um, and they also see patients at these um, uh, centers and uh, they are as again they're, they've hired the national academies um, they're accepting they, they accept claims on a case-by-case basis they've had about eleven thousand claims filed um, that have at least a one burn pit related uh, illness uh, they've approved about um, one in five of those so um, about twenty percent are getting approved, um, and uh, and they uh, they just feel that they have uh, they have a way for veterans to claim uh, you know to, to make claims, disability claims, and uh, and that's how they're they're going to handle it.
1: Hey, and what, what and this is the last question. Um, what are some of the things that families are saying now when it comes to living the rest of their life either without their loved one or someone who's dealing with these health challenges? Um, You know, how has it affected them going forward of, you know, their loved one came back, right? It's not like they they died in battle and they came home in a casket. They thought they were safe, uh, and it turns out they're not. What kind of impact is that having on them?
2: It's absolutely devastating. Their loved one's death was no less related to their service than someone who did die in combat. And we honor the life and the service of, of all of our men and women, all of our surviving family members, loved ones. So to give their journey now meaning and purpose, to, for them to be part of the research that's being done, to share the experiences, to help others who are coming along, to be mentors to caregivers who then become survivors is critically important. Awareness is critical. Panels like this, and we're so grateful to the Wounded Warrior Project for doing this today, for being part, bringing TAPS into a joint effort with VVA to further efforts. It's. Every one of these steps is making a difference. It's giving meaning and purpose to the life and the service of our loved ones, and to their death, and it's allowing survivors to have a voice. So thank you again for this panel today,
1: and thanks for your um, thanks for your expertise and your reporting on this. Um, thank you, Bonnie, and thank you, Patricia. Um, that's it for the the panel. Um, you know, for more events, go to WashingtonPostLive.com, and uh, thanks for joining us.